0: H.P. Lovecraft once said, From even the greatest of horrors, irony is seldom absent. This is Save vs. Rant.
1: Welcome to Save vs. Rant, the everyman gaming podcast. I'm John, And I'm Jeremy. And today we're talking about Kingdom Death Monster, again!
0: Yes, but this time we are going to delve into some very serious spoilers. In the last episode, we talked a little bit about the Quarry Monsters and gave you kind of an idea of what they can do and a few minor spoilers about them. But we avoided things like the nemesis and the actual content of the game's ongoing calendar. But this episode, we're going to hold back nothing, we will go all the way through to the end. So if that's not something you're interested in hearing, and you want to approach Kingdom Death fresh, without any idea of where it's going, do not listen to this episode. Also, this episode could go into the uh, orange area that we don't want to necessarily invite everyone into, where we're going to talk about uncomfortable topics, possibly topics involving sexuality and, and violence. And this could happen more or less unexpectedly in this episode because of the nature of these encounters. So, again, if that's not your bag, please join us for our season premiere starting in April. It's going to be about virtual tabletops, but as of now, we are going to do this episode on Kingdom Death Monster. So, where to begin?
1: Well, uh, we could talk about the random hunt encounters, which have all sorts of random things. We could talk about the settlement events, which could involve things like murder, death, fire raining from the sky, uh, elders having a council meeting. Uh-oh. Let's talk about The Butcher. The Butcher. Okay, so, by Lantern Year 4, most people get this idea that, okay, I've got how this game goes. I'm getting pretty good. I know how things are going to go. It's Boss Rush the game.
0: Yeah, you have kind of a feel for it. You fought the lion probably two or three times and you fought the antelope once to dip your toes in. So you've got an idea of kind of how the different monsters work. And now you're staring at this encounter that says you have a nemesis fight with the butcher. And a nemesis fight, you know, is just a fight that happens. You don't have to hunt for him or anything. So you're like, okay, so this is going to be another boss type fight and it's going to be a little tougher than the other ones. So let's see what happens.
1: And you start reading through and goes, oh, you get to go first. It's a pretty standard setup. And then the Butcher kicks your butt. The Butcher
0: is just absolutely head and shoulders above the lion and the antelope in terms of difficulty. He draws two AI cards. He has some enormously powerful attacks that do incredible, that do potentially incredible amounts of damage to you. He has AI cards that make him draw another AI card. And on top of that, he has several impervious hit locations and one super dense hit location in a much smaller hit location deck than other monsters that gets reshuffled every turn so you don't even have to get to his trap to have to deal with all that stuff again. And on top of that, he's just tough and nasty.
1: Most of his attacks inflict bleed damage. If you take five points of bleed, you die. Then he gets tougher for each survivor that he has killed. This means that as the fight goes on, if you lose people, you actually have a harder time of defeating him. He is a screaming berserker. He is barbarian rage personified. He is anger, completely and totally
0: encapsulated in a monster. So you beat the butcher, let's say. You didn't. I know you didn't. Instead, he actually rampages your village and destroys all your stuff. But let's say you do beat the butcher. You managed to eke out a victory on this. What do you get for it? You get a couple of broken lanterns, most likely. If you're very lucky, you might get one of his signature weapons or some other piece of equipment which is actually a compelling reason to consider farming the Butcher if you have the heart flute that lets you do that, but I've never heard of anyone actually doing that seriously. Point being, he is not a good encounter, he doesn't give you anything good, and he's just going to leave you feeling with a bad taste in your mouth. Probably some broken weapons on top of that.
1: The Butcher's Cleaver, a potential uh, treasure that you get from him, is a good weapon. Is it the best weapon you can get? No. If you get it, it'll make the next few years good, nice, easier, but you're probably not going to get it. If you get the Forsaker Mask, oh my god, you're never getting the Forsaker Mask. I'm sorry, you just aren't. But if you do, ooh,
0: that is so good. So there is something you can get from the Butcher that's worth having. And if you get two of his cleavers, you can use them as paired weapons, you know, if that's ever going to happen. But really, your reward for the Butcher is getting to breathe a sigh of relief that nothing worse happens, and, oh yeah, knowing that the next Butcher you fight is going to be a level 2 Butcher and substantially harder. This game just to make it clear, is an unrelenting smorgasbord of new unpleasant surprises around every turn. When good stuff happens, it's always going to be tempered by, but also this bad thing is going to happen.
1: Like the next year, Hands of Heat. You get a lantern oven for free. You get the ability to start cooking. You get the Red Fist's secret fighting art, which lets you use temporary strength-enhancing tokens. That's really cool. But what happens the very next year Armored strangers, people, humans, people in forged armor, come up and see your settlement, your settlement that's barely scraping by, that's barely just had uh, heat come through,
0: that you're still working with bone and maybe leather. So these armored strangers visit your little Paleolithic society, and what do they do? They do a head count. Are there seven or less people? They're going to be friendly and do something nice for you. Is it going to be really nice? Probably not, but it'll just be something. Is there eight or more people? They're going to kill some of you.
1: The first time that I was playing this game and got to Armored Strangers, I had nine survivors. Okay, so I had eight or more. Whatever, what's the worst that could happen? I roll a one on the chart and they kill five of my people.
0: Ah, you have an option though. You can rebel against it and fight the Armored Stranger. This is going to be another Nemesis encounter, but you've dealt with the Butcher, so you kind of know what's coming. You know it's going to be nasty, but ultimately, you you do have an idea of what you're going to face, right?
1: So you get into the fight with the Kingsman, and it's super tough because he has this armor, and he has this weird dance fighting style that just keeps you from being able to hit him, and you have to try and learn his dance fighting style to get through with this combat and he just keeps hurting you over and over and over. And Just it's unpleasant and it's unfun. And it's
0: not a really good encounter. He does have these weird attacks that look for someone in the right spot and the right spot is like three random dots of spaces near him. And if you're in those spots, he just blows you up basically like does an incredibly powerful attack against you at that position for incredible damage, but if nobody's there, you know, he just does his thing. It's, it's kind of a weird encounter because it feels really unfocused. And honestly, it's probably the worst encounter in the game.
1: John laughed at me really hard when I texted him after this. I was playing the game at my house and I'm like, John, I survived. I, I have one guy left. And then you know what happens? He gets cursed. He starts becoming a Kingsman as his body explodes into this forged armor.
0: <laughs> well, to be fair, it's good armor. I mean, you know, it's oh. great. Now that your chest has exploded, uh, you've got a pretty strong breastplate. Yeah, it's really
1: good armor. And then I looked down the track. Year 9, Kingsman, Nemesis Encounter. It will be a level 2 at that point. I restarted my game at that point going, no, no, I won. I won by the skin of my teeth. I should get something nice. I should get something good.
0: Yeah, when I faced the, uh, Kingsmen, uh, well, first when the Armored Strangers came, uh, I had too many people, but they just impaled someone on a guidepost, so I was like, cool, I'll, I'll take it, sure, go ahead, kill that guy, I didn't like him anyway, and then when I actually fought the Kingsmen, I just died, I sent newbie survivors against him, and they all died, and that's probably the best outcome, I take kind of the conservative approach with these nemesis encounters. I go, yeah, what can I lose? Four newborn survivors, let's do this. Okay, you guys, give it a shot.
1: So, after the Armored Strangers go through, a ways down the the timeline, year 11, you get a regal visit. Oh, great, more of these Armored Strangers coming from wherever these Armored Strangers are coming from. Actually, no, it's just one. It's the Hand, the Hand of the King, heralding the king through. What's the king? I have no clue, but it's the hand of the king.
0: And he is kind of weird. Yeah, he, uh, he might be helpful or he might be nasty. And what determines that is what your society is. If your society has any of the uh, bad sort of society features, uh, you know, you went with survival of the fittest, you chose to accept the darkness, or uh, you uh, cannibalize, then he rewards you for these things um, if you get a lucky roll. But if you don't have these, then he punishes you in terrible ways.
1: Now, much like the Armored Strangers, you can just go, no, 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 I'm not going to get punished and fight the Hand. You fought the kingsman before, This is just going to be a slightly souped up version of them. Slightly harder to hit. Going to do a little bit more damage.
0: Yeah, you know it's going to be a nasty fight, but hey, what can you expect? It's it's going to be a nasty fight. No, no, this is not a nasty fight. What you have just signed up for is a fight against one punch man. This is when the guy from Dragon Ball Z, the villain from Dragon Ball Z, shows up and he's like, ha ha, you can't defeat me. And all the Z fighters come at him and just start punching him and nothing happens and they all get knocked back and they're like, oh no, we can't defeat him, he's too powerful. And you're like, oh my god, what are they going to do? They're going to develop powers to fight him. Except you don't develop powers to fight him. You fight the hand as is. Oh my god. So, uh, we really can't
1: impress on you enough what happens with the hand so we, we actually pulled some of his AI cards out of the deck just to just to tell you exactly what he does
0: okay so so the hand has his his reflex if he can't target someone, is that he makes their chest or head explode. And if they don't have survival, they just die. But if they do have survival, they can kind of get out of it once. You know, good luck for that. But in general, you want to you want him to be attacking every time he has an AI card that comes up. A lot of his AI cards are what's called duration cards, which means they flip up, you get to see what they are, and then next turn they're going to do their effect. So, cool, you get kind of some warning. Except that warning is so that you can get in the way of his attacks. Let me explain, okay? Okay. So he's, he's got, he's got, um, he's got this attack called, uh, line up. This is, this is my least favorite attack in the entire game because this killed three of my survivors. Okay. There's, there's a line in front of him marked the right spot and you, you, every survivor in the right spot gets attacked. And if every survivor isn't attacked by this attack, you have to deal with the penalty. It does six damage, which in Kingdom Death terms is ridiculous. So you are so you so you literally have to line up all your survivors in front of him so he can hit you. He he literally like it says, it says, uh, when this card is drawn face down, the monster casually opens his arms. So he he opens his arms and says, stand right here, basically. And if you don't do it, he makes your head or chest explode. And if you do do it, he kills you. And this this is
1: just. It, it, it's so arrogant, it's so egotistical, this this powerful being going, no, I'm going to slap you and it's going to hurt.
0: How powerful is he? He has an attack called Full Power Flick, okay? And if this attack is done at its full power with, with the additional energy that comes from you attacking him, oh yeah, you power him up by attacking him, by the way, just so you know. But if you have the additional thing that you get from attacking him, Then after his damage, he gives you knockback 19, which on the board will always put you at an edge of the board. So you'd hit a board board edge, right? Except it has. If you take knockback from this, instead of stopping survivor movement at the board edge, the survivor goes flying off into the darkness, never to be heard from again. Dead. So it kills your survivor. Unless you literally set another survivor or, or set up your survivor in a position where a piece of terrain is going to block their path. So you basically have to, again, you have to line up for this attack, knowing he's going to do it, and then you have to put another survivor behind your survivor to be the catcher so that your survivor smashes into them instead of flying off the board to die. Which is a really amusing
1: mental image, by the way. Some super overpowered Dragon Ball Z-type fighter coming up and flicking you in the forehead, sending you off into nowhere. Team Rocket blasting off again.
0: Yeah, um, amusing outside of the context of kingdom-freaking-death-monster. So then he has this other, his his intimidated attack, soft chuckle. He just chuckles softly, and oh, by the way, it can make your head explode, basically. you suffer five brain damage, unless you're very brave. And, uh, oh, also you lose survival, and um, also you lose accuracy. Yeah, um... He he just chuckles softly and breaks your brain. And then finally, the the last attack I want to talk about is take your best shot, okay? This is he he it's it's another one where it's drawn face down, it pops up, and you get a chance to react to it, right? So what does he do? He he turns to face away from you, takes a step forward, and then has minus 10 to his dodge. So to his evasion. So You're basically guaranteed to hit him, except if you trigger his trap, he does terrible things to you. I mean, just utterly terrible things to you. But this is your best chance to attack him, so you really have to take this opportunity. So
1: you start hitting him. You start doing all this damage to him. It's great. It's amazing. Yes, you've done like three or four points of damage to him. You can critically hit him, right? You can critically hit him all over the place. And then you draw a card that says, oh, how high is your understanding on this critical hit? He's been faking all this damage. He's not really hurt. He's not hurt. He's just playing along with you.
0: So after all of this, one of two things is going to happen. If you run out his AI deck, then he is just bored with you and decides to move on with his life. Whatever. But if you kick the crap out of him, like just just really throw everything you've got against him, you don't actually hurt him, but eventually he decides to give you respect. And what does respect means? It means he does one serious attack on you.
1: This serious attack goes so fast you cannot see it. The heat from the attack sets all of your flammable gear on fire, and you're probably going to die. If you don't, you have a chance of learning a secret fighting
0: art a very powerful secret fighting art but yeah it's 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 really very little consolation after all of this garbage so
1: we have all these nemesis encounter which are really really powerful and they, they are the boss fights of the game but there's also other hidden story events like not everything is just on the timeline here for example once you have 5 innovations in your in your settlement then, a Hooded Knight shows up. A Hooded Knight? What, what is he doing here? Well, he's the Twilight Knight. The Twilight Knights are people that fight very strongly against the forces of darkness, against the final boss of the game. And he hands one of your survivors the Twilight Sword, which, once powered up, can be super amazing, one of the best weapons in the game, the absolute best weapon against the final boss.
0: But there's a catch. When you first get it, it is literally the worst weapon in the game, worse than fighting unarmed. It is virtually impossible to hit with, and while it does a lot of damage if you actually hit, you basically have to roll a perfect 10 to hit until you actually are able to up its accuracy to a meaningful amount by increasing your weapon proficiency. You can only increase your weapon proficiency by surviving a hunt or a nemesis encounter where you actually wound someone with this weapon. So you find yourself sending your Twilight Knight up against monsters. And having them try their hardest just to get one hit. And just the one hit is all you need. And once you do the one hit, you ignore your Twilight Sword for the rest of the fight. And let them do whatever. But they gotta learn that Twilight Sword. Until the Twilight Sword gets good enough to actually use. Which does happen eventually. But... If you master the Twilight Sword, your Twilight Master leaves. He goes off and becomes one of these roaming Twilight Knights. So you got to walk a fine line and eventually soft-retire that survivor and tell them that they're not going to, you know, continue to fight until you get to this uh, Watcher that everyone's talking about that we're going to get to soon.
1: The next milestone event that could happen is when your population reaches 15. You get a Society Principle. What happens? You either collectively toil in the darkness forever, or you can accept the darkness into yourself. You can become some of the monsters in the darkness. Now, that's pretty cool. We're not going to tell you everything about it, mostly because, Some good things, some bad things, whatever.
0: Always some good things and some bad things with Kingdom Death when something good is happening. Sometimes it's all bad, but there's very seldom a time when it's all good, and this is another example of that. Each one has strengths and weaknesses. Each one is good for some things and not others. Generally, the good option, Collective Toil, is a better long-run strategy, but your mileage may vary. They're actually both pretty good choices.
1: Likewise, at year 12, you get the Conviction Principle. Finally, you decide whether you're going to uh, become romantic or barbaric. Whether you're going to treasure the mysteries of the world or if you're going to master the darkness. And these, likewise, are really cool. Except for the Bone Witch part of romantic, where you get this person that goes off into the darkness and then comes back eating bones and, and showing you secrets about the darkness. And it can really end up being just bad for you. Yeah, it's a mess,
0: but uh, honestly they're both good, again, they're both good choices, uh, and it can add a lot of interest to your game and has some very important pivotal decisions based on which one you choose.
1: Uh, Likewise, if you get your individual characters really powerful, they can eventually learn either the white secret or see the truth. They can see their own death or they can learn one major secret about the
0: world. So if they if they up their uh if they up their courage they see the truth and gain incredible battle power basically becoming enlightened frenzied berserkers who can both harness their hate and violence and control themselves within this frenzy so that's an incredibly powerful ability and it's a great thing to have Meanwhile, The White Secret requires you to max out your understanding, and when you do, based on your society principle, or your lack of a society principle, if it's early enough, you learn one of three stories, and each one has a pretty powerful thing.
1: Now, these are really hard to do, and I've, I've seen on some of the forums ways of like gaming the system to get great amounts of courage or understanding. Okay, okay. And-
0: The thing about gaming the system is I feel like it's disingenuous to play Kingdom Death Monster and try to game the system. Uh, Specifically, there's a way with the White Lion. If you cut off its hand and restrict its AI deck down so all it has is its claw attack, which requires its strange hand, then all the Lion can do is sit and stare mournfully at its missing hand and increase your understanding as you watch it. So you line up all your survivors around it and you all sit and spectate on this lion who sits there and stares at a strange hand until everyone's understanding is maxed out and you all uncover the white secret. Now... Technically this is totally within the realm of the game, but I feel that it ignores the spirit of the game, which is to play this game of Kingdom Death Monster. And there are are several of these exploits. Uh, Against the Butcher, the Butcher has one AI card that makes him target a specific survivor relentlessly to the point of ignoring everyone else, and that survivor has an option to just run out of the fight and leave the settlement forever with the Butcher chasing him into darkness and never returning which, you know, Noble Sacrifice, it's actually a really neat effect. But you can kind of game the Butcher for it by sending uh, four naked survivors with nothing but Fecal Salve, which they rub on themselves and makes him not want to attack them. So you just wait until that AI card comes up, tags a survivor, you send him off, and all you lose is one survivor and one organ worth of resources. Again, you're gaming the system really hard. It's, It's a disingenuous way to play the game. You're not playing Kingdom Death.
1: No, and I mean, covering yourself in fecal salve is just a really, really awful thing. I mean, no monster really wants to attack you because you're smelly, except for the flower knight, but that's beside the point. And it's a good tactic to keep your good survivors held back, but if everyone's doing it, it's really just... It's not doing what the fecal salve was supposed to do. It's not doing what a fight was supposed to do.
0: The thing about Kingdom Death is... I feel that this game is best enjoyed in an authentic way. And when I say that, what I mean is that it is a game of unrelenting horror. And when you intentionally break it down to a gamist system of numbers that you can kind of con out of these horror experiences and this arbitrary sudden death strike... It comes out of nowhere. If you're sitting there finding ways around having to deal with the butcher, I actually feel that my strategy of throwing completely newborn survivors at almost every nemesis encounter is kind of a cop-out. Honestly, what would the survivors want? They'd want to stop these terrible creatures from wreaking havoc on their settlement. And if you play the game in an authentic way, I feel it's meant to be played like... like. Have you ever seen Clash of the Titans, the original Clash of the Titans? Yeah. The gods have, like, this board that they move mortals around on. And they, at one point, um, Hera jealously grabs Zeus's son and puts him on a deserted island by himself. And Zeus is like, that was a nasty thing to do. And Hera's like, well, I did it. Because she could. But the gods couldn't really usurp people's free will by this. They could do All kinds of crazy things. But they had sort of a set of rules they played by. And I feel like Kingdom Death is kind of like that. These survivors are your pawns that you do crazy things with but you're playing under a constrained rule set to see what they do it's it's kind of the dwarf fortress like dwarf fortress the the video game it's kind of the dwarf fortress of board games you you set these people up and you see what they do under these circumstances where all the dice rolls come in is to see how they respond and how they come out of this And doing things like uh, gaming the Antelope encounter so that you critical hit it so many times you completely deplete its deck of all its resources? That's a serious cop-out. I mean, you have to sit around and wait
1: for it to heal itself and then critically hit it again, then heal itself and critically hit it again? I mean, that's not what your survivors are trying to do. They're trying to go out there and rip it apart and keep it from hurting them, not really wait until it regrows its spleen.
0: Yeah, it's it's an inauthentic way to play the game, and I feel like doing that is a cop-out to what the experience is supposed to be. You're cheating yourself of the real Kingdom Death experience when you do that. But let's move on. The, the Watcher is the final encounter, right?
1: The final boss of the first edition of the game is the Watcher. What happens? Well... Your lantern horde... The the lanterns keep going out, keep going out, keep going out. And suddenly, you get to look inside of it. You notice it's hollow. And there's this monster sleeping in there, waiting to wake up. And when it does, it will eat you and your entire settlement. And the only thing you can do is fight it back. Fight with your entire settlement against this one monster. Which is an interesting mechanic. But then what happens...
0: Well, um, let's see. You had this lantern horde that kept away all the monsters, and the lantern horde turned out to be an incubating monster that when it woke up, tried to eat you, and now you've killed the thing that provided all the lantern light. Well, there's no light anymore. Nothing to keep the monsters away, right? So, you get eaten!
1: So... This game also has a number of really good, really fun expansions. So far, we've mostly been talking about the core game, the 1.0 version of the game. You can buy the 1.5, as we said, for $400. But what expansions are out there that we like? Well, I like the Sunstalker. It's the sun. It's this monster that produces great amounts of light. It flies around, and it looks like a grinning denture shark with... Weird ears and tentacles. You
0: know, it honestly has my favorite intro story of any of the monsters of Kingdom Death. It's about two young survivors who make a pledge with each other as children um, under the sun. They uh, pledge to always be together and to grow old together and to someday hunt the sun together. And one of the survivors kisses one of the others. And there's this illustration of these two young people... Sharing a kiss under the sun. And the sun is this enormous, hideous monster. And it's just such a stark reminder of the unrelenting horror of the kingdom death setting. That this is just such a banal experience to them. This is just the normal way of things. To have this huge glowing monster looming over them and just passing by. Like it's not even a thing. They just go about their business.
1: Another great expansion for this game is The Gorm. This is a game where you can fail to complete the campaign. You can get completely knocked out of the game and have to start over. Which means you're going to be fighting that starting white lion a number of times. You're going to be fighting the antelope a number of times.
0: Over and over and over.
1: Well, The Gorm gives you another interesting early game encounter. It also changes the campaign in an interesting way with this horrible, toxic deluge, the Gorm climate.
0: Essentially, the the Gorm brings this uh, nasty, toxic deluge, and it itself is this creature of unrelenting disgust that uh, actually has an attack where it just pisses on your legs. This is just how this creature is. It's a nasty, disgusting elephant monster that can eat you and has such vicious bacteria on it that it dissolves you into goo. But it is an it is... Not substantially more difficult than the White Lion. It is meant to be fought at the same level as the White Lion. So you can more or less replace your White Lion encounters with Gorm encounters and have a new fresh Kingdom Death experience. And like all the monsters, it plays substantially different from them.
1: Another expansion I really like, the Dragon King. It's a giant nuclear dragon. And it has a campaign that is better than the standard campaign in the game. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to do that. If you like Kingdom Death, if Kingdom Death, if Kingdom Death sounds interesting to you, and if you can get a copy of the Dragon King expansion, you will be delighted by what you find.
0: It is actually a really cool mini, um, possibly one of the least offensive and disgusting Kingdom Death minis. Uh, big old dragon with a human face coming out of its uh, open chest cavity. It's it's a cool mini. Uh, really neat things, something that you might even be willing to put on your shelf as a display piece for normal people, you know?
1: The last expansion I want to talk about is the Slender Man, which, if you put the Slender Man in your game, it completely replaces the Armored Stranger and the Kingsman. As I was saying before, the Kingsman is just not a very good fight. It's not a very fun encounter. The Slender Man, on the other hand, is. And I mean, it's this funny meme monster that suddenly became not funny in Kingdom Death.
0: The thing is, when when you think of Slenderman, I I haven't... um I, I've known about Slenderman ever since it was a throwaway gag in a Photoshop Friday on a Something Awful forum, you know? It was just a thing somebody made when they were, like, Photoshop monsters into pictures, and he made this Slenderman. Great. And some people took it and ran with it. I remember Marble Hornets was actually really interesting, but... For the most part, Slender Man was a played to death, stupid internet meme monster from somethingawful.com. Kingdom Death's version is the first time since Marble Hornets that I've seen Slender Man and looked at it and said, This is really interesting. This is an interesting take on the Slender Man. It's a uh, monster that works in the periphery of your vision, your mind, and your memory. And represents sort of an amnesia, a, a loss of perception. In, in a sense, I think that uh, I think that the monsters in Kingdom Death Monster all play to primal fears or our relationships with different things. Uh, the Sun Stalker is kind of our, our love-hate relationship with the sun and light. You know, it's both the source of our very existence, but at the same time, it gives us cancer. It burns us. it it makes it hard to work if it's hot it can uh dehydrate us it can kill our crops and the sun stalker kind of plays to those fears the the uh phoenix is of course our fear of time and the relentless turning of time and growing old the gorm to me represents a a sort of industrialized uh pollution that anytime you try to move forward, anytime you try to make any progress, it just becomes this deluge of sludge that makes it impossible to continue on that path. The Kingsman and the Hand are of course authority figures that are crushingly uh, prohibitive to you and, and are destructive to society in that. And of course the butcher is the exact opposite with the, uh, primal urges of man being the destruction of society. <laughs> and, and you know, I don't know if I'm, if I'm attributing too much symbol symbolism and significance to some of these monsters. I think Poots has talked a little bit about how, uh, some of the monsters represent these sort of things, but like I, I really feel it does a good job of conveying that sort of nightmare horror and making us afraid and a little disgusted of these very basic topics. Some some of them being relations we have with things that we need to survive. The dung beetle knight representing industry and and persistence. The uh, The Flower Knight representing beauty and growth, but still being a destructive force. And of course, the Spidicules is is a big spider that's scary. It really doesn't need more than that. It's a giant freaking spider that abducts your people. That's horrible.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, let's move on. Kingdom Death Monster is still being made and expansions are still coming out. So let's talk about things that are coming out and things that will never come out. In the original Kickstarter... There was this planned event called the Lantern Festival, which took place after the Watcher was defeated. You went and you eventually fought the king. Well, one of the kings.
0: Yeah, apparently there's a lot of kings. Um, Poots hasn't been super specific about it, but they're apparently all over the Plane of Faces, which is huge in an immeasurable sort of way.
1: And after that, you would then go and fight the Scribe, who is this godlike being who can write beings into and out of existence? And at the beginning of the game, all the survivors appear without any knowledge of their past, with ink over their eyes. So maybe he's just writing all these survivors in to suffer in this horrible world?
0: Yeah, now see, that's, that's another theme of the game, is that sort of existential horror. Do these survivors exist at the whim of some higher power that creates them just to suffer and die and to be food and fodder for these various monsters? Is he... Is this a giant goldfish bowl full of his favorite monsters and he just sprinkles a few of these survivors in there every once in a while to feed them? I mean, I really think that that's one of the themes of this game is this notion of both existential and cosmic horror on top of the nightmare horror. This notion that humans aren't even really the bottom of the kingdom death food chain. They are the food. They are the basic unit of nourishment. Like the only thing below humans on the chain is vermin. Everything else is humans viciously struggling to make any sort of any sort of impasse whatsoever against them. On top of that, they're never actually referred to as humans. The the material always says survivor. And Poots has confirmed that there's only one species of creature in the Kingdom Death world. Monsters.
1: Uh, let's see. Other things that might be coming and are promised to be coming. The frog dog, which is this horrible frog dog that makes people raise its young. There's the griffin, which is the largest monster in the game. The Sunstalker is a four space by four space, which is huge, as is the Dragon King. The griffin is supposed to be five by five. There's there's the woods, which has the the red witches. There's Uh, The Silver City, which is where the Lion God resides. The Lion God's already out, but they plan on doing more with it. Oh, there's
0: the Nightmare Ram. The Nightmare Ram appears in the comic at the end of the Kingdom Death book. We don't know much about it, but we do know that it's a plant and it lives in a dungeon. Um, And that the dungeon is part of its fight and is a shifting dungeon that moves around constantly that your survivors have to deal with some sort of treacherous terrain within it and trying to navigate its twisting hallways while trying to fight the monster at the same time. That really appeals and interests me a great deal. I'm, I'm very excited to see what gets done with that.
1: So at the very end here, my favorite little spoiler in the game. Where did the plane of faces come from? That's a question I constantly see on different forums, different websites. And it's my favorite spoiler because it's answered on the very first page of the rulebook. You open it up and there's this horribly pathetic little monster with a concave face that keeps feeling its own face and carving faces on the ground to maybe fit into this empty little space. Interesting that.
0: Yeah, it's... There's so many small pieces of lore in Kingdom Death that are hidden among it. Uh, and that's one of them that really like struck me because of not only how subtle it is, but the fact that it's not actually significant to the plot in any way. It's something that you can observe and be like, huh, yet another tiny little horror facet of this crazy, messed up world Adam Poots has created that ultimately signifies nothing.
1: So, do we recommend Kingdom Death Monster? It's a $400 prestige game.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really hard to recommend at that price point at all, but having said that, if what we've talked about appeals to you, if if hearing this made you say that's really interesting, I'd really like to see that. I'd really like to give that a go then I can't honestly say that I don't recommend Kingdom Death Monster. It's such an intriguing game. The themes in it are so bizarre and viscerally disgusting and difficult that I find it really interesting. The monsters are hideous and yet kind of grotesquely beautiful at the same time. They are these lovingly crafted... Monuments to horror. Um, the whole game is an enormous passion project, and to some degree, just seeing such an amazing passion project play out and work out so well for Adam Poots and, and be such a an amazing big thing in his life is inspiring to me and excites me and makes me wish kingdom death all the best and continued success in its future endeavors so that
1: was season one of save versus rant thank you all very very much for listening i know i say that a lot and i really mean it this was a wonderful little passion project that john and i did just kind of out of nowhere hey you want to do this let's do a podcast thank you all for listening so much for this past year Next year, uh, Season 2, Episode 1, will be Virtual Tabletops.
0: We're going to talk about how technology allows us to do things we were never able to do with gaming before, and will take us to new places, for better or for worse, allowing us to change the landscape of gaming itself.
1: So once again, this has been Save vs. Rant. Thank you very much for listening. H.R. Geiger once said, I don't know. If somebody doesn't tell me, how would I know? Save vs. Rant is a Tabletop Gamers Guild production. Your hosts are John and Jeremy, with music by Timmy Skittles. Save vs. Rant is recorded on dueling laptops in front of a silent and invisible studio audience. Visit us at savevsrant.com, or contact us on Facebook or Twitter at Save vs. Rant. We'd love to hear from you.